So um, it's an awesome privilege for me, honestly, to, to be here to, to speak to you, really to share with you what I walk through. So it's not really a message that I prepare, but just give you some of my own thoughts, my own readings, my own conclusions on a particular subject. If it's not the same conclusion that you draw upon some of the scriptures that I'm going to say, it's all good. Happy to talk to you about it. Happy to be adjusted. Hopefully we can together find a good landing place. Um, some of the things that I've been reading have really moved me a lot, have changed the way I think about life, the, ba the way I you know, just think about how you go about walking in this world. Um, and it all has to do with the kingdom of God. Now this is a very large subject. And I can't imagine to do justice in the short time that we have today. But what my hope is, my, my prayer is, that, that we can land somewhere together that really changes us. I don't want you to walk out of here the same as you walked in. That's my goal. The Word of God has to change us. It has the power to change, but it requires faith. It requires an open heart. And when you approach the Lord in that way, there is no way you will walk out of here the same person you walked in. No way. So the kingdom of God. wanted to take you through some scriptures. First one is John 3, 3 to 6. I'm just going to do that. This is, this is a time when Jesus is now, um, he's, he's walking and, and ministering and being noticed by the religious leaders of his day. And one of them particularly, his name is Nicodemus, he comes to him. <coughs> And uh, recognizing that Jesus is, you know, unique, that God is truly with him, asks him a question, and Jesus' answer is like this. As Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He draws attention to at least two key things that have to do with the kingdom. Seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom. Okay? Now, just going to... Not dwell on that, but I want to go to um, the next one. In Galatians, Paul introduces another theme. Uh, he actually spoke about it in Corinthians. He said similar words, but he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. So three themes emerge from this. Not to dwell on the things that he says and all of these bad things that, that are the works of the flesh, 
that's not the point here, but that in bringing those up, he very explicitly introduces another theme of inheriting the kingdom of God. So we see seeing the kingdom, entering the kingdom, and inheriting the kingdom. These are the three that I want to focus on today. And also touch on what actually is the kingdom. Now, born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Now, one of the things that we love is uh, time travel movies. It's one of the most popular themes of movies today. There is movies that have to do with the fight against, fight between good and evil, movies about love, movies about time travel. They are very, very popular. And when they combine the two of them, they become even more. Like movies like uh, Back to the Future or, or um, Interstellar. Like, brilliant, brilliant movie. They're my favorite, particularly. Why are they so popular? Because there's a yearning in our heart to go back and to fix things. Hoping that when we come back to this moment, that now we are in a better place. We yearn to fix the past so that our present will be good. Even the future is like, I want to go into the future to see what my decisions today did. And so I want to know if I make good decisions, it's going to affect the future. How? So we love these movies. We go back and forth. But Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's not so much us fixing the past. Rather, abandoning the past. You must renounce the past. You must give it up for a new life. To be born into something brand new is what Jesus is saying. You cannot be, you cannot be put back into your mother's womb and to be born again. You can't do that. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam and the second man. The last Adam, because he is supposed to, as, as he came, he lived as the last person of that race. He closed that race. That race of Adam is no more. It's not something to be improved upon. It's not something to go back in time and to fix it so that the race of Adam will be a better race, so that it will be more consistent with the intention of God. We are all born into the race of Adam. But we cannot fix the race of Adam. It's not God's intention to fix the race of Adam. He is the last one. And he closes the chapter of the race of Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. But he is the second man. In other words, when he is now in his... Uh, after he died and he was resurrected from the dead, he became now a life-giving spirit. Paul talks about it in one of his letters. He says Jesus was the last Adam, but he was the second man. And the second man became a life-giving spirit. In other words, that when we actually belong to that race, we live according to a completely different rule, a different law of existence. It's no longer the law of flesh and blood. It is the law of the spirit. And that's why he introduces the second part of what I'm saying. Is that, okay, to be born again is to give up, to die in the race of Adam, and to be now born into a new race. It's the race of Christ. 
To be born of water in the Spirit simply is this. Is that, it's similar like when we go into, you understand the, uh, the nature of baptism. It's speaking about what Jesus actually did in his death and his, in his resurrection. He died. He was in the, in the um, earth for three days. And then he rose. Brand new person. Brand new. We still recognized he had flesh and bone. But he was a new creature. He was a new creation. I shouldn't, not even that. He was the creator, but he was a new person. In the same way, born of water and the spirit means the same. Is that when we renounce the race of Adam, we die with Christ in water, in baptism. That's our testimony. And we are raised a new person no longer of the race of Adam, but of the race of Christ. He is now the one that defines who we are. No longer flesh and blood. It says, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, he says, don't you know that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? That race of Adam has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Nothing. Can't be approved upon. Cannot be made well. So that it will be um, accepted by God. It can't. So what does it mean to be inheriting the kingdom of God? But I want to just touch upon what the kingdom of God is. Now, follow me here. It might be a little bit in, uh, detailed, but I think we'll land to it together. Look, so the history of mankind. All is the kingdom of God. How he created, how he brought everything to be. So that he would have a creation in a place of love with him. Where does it start? So he started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He created them, male and female, created them in his image. But Adam and Eve, they sinned. And so we have the first part of the journey of how God reestablishes his kingdom on the earth. We start with a covenant with Adam. That's the first age where we see now Adam walking in a new covenant with God. After he had fallen because of sin, he is now on a journey. And God is on a journey. His kingdom is on a journey. From there we go to Adam, a new covenant given after the flood. God speaks to Adam, he gives him a new covenant. Now brings them up one more step. That's why I've shown it in a step like this. Now this is the second dispensation of time, the second age, where now mankind is walking according to a different law was given to Noah. And then he goes from there, he calls out Abraham. A new covenant is given to Abraham. And he's brought up one more level. And so the law that is now governing Abraham's life is not the same as Noah, is not the same as Adam. It's a law that's new. It's a law of faith. And then from there, we see how the nation of Israel is called out. <clears throat> Moses bringing them out. Law given to them in the wilderness. Now this is again a new covenant that's given. It's a new age that, that the people of this earth stepped into. Of course it was only the nation of Israel at that time. But it was how God is now building up a kingdom that is going to be fit for him. So from there we see now Jesus comes to the earth. Now this is the fifth dispensation of time. Jesus comes his first words. As he ministers, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. 
So he's now bringing the kingdom, whereas it was outside of the reach of mankind. Even in Moses' time, it was outside. It was the closest it had ever gotten, but it was still outside of reach until Jesus came and said, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is near. So he brought, as the Son of God, he brought the kingdom to the earth. Thank you. He brought the kingdom of heaven to the earth. And so he walked in everything that he taught about the kingdom. Even after he was resurrected, he was on the earth for another 40 days with his disciples, teaching them all about the kingdom of God. And then from there, we're going to enter into a new time where Jesus returns. This is now the sixth dispensation of time. And the Bible states that this dispensation of time will be uh, 1,000 years where Jesus himself will be visibly king on the earth and that the kingdoms of the earth the kings of the earth will bring their tribute their homage and and uh, to to jesus the king he'll be reigning from jerusalem we will see it as our eyes will actually see him and then after the thousand years there's many things written about the end of that in the book of revelation in the final chapters you will see that we are now from there entering into eternity that will be the seventh day i i personally feel that when he's talking about the rest, God rested on the seventh day, he was pointing to this day where everything will be cleaned up, everything will be restored, everything will be in the proper place of what God intended from day one. We will now step into eternity with that. So, what do we see here? We see the cross in this location, in the timeline that I showed you, and that everything, the old covenant, being all of the old covenants before the cross and all of the new covenant from the cross, everything funnels into the cross of Christ as the focal point of all of history. Everything revolves around the cross of Christ. Because this is where God introduced his man. The man that he intended from day one. He introduced this man. The man Jesus Christ. Right? Now, I want to focus, though, on just this, these two. Jesus' first walk on the earth and his thousand-year reign. So, from there, what happens? We see that this is the church age. We're living in this age. The age to come, where Jesus reigns, it will be a visible kingdom. Like I said, you will see Jesus with your own eyes as king reigning on the throne in Jerusalem. Right? This is what the context of what we know of the kingdom of, of heaven, kingdom of God. What Jesus preached, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Until the end of the thousand years is what he defines as the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God is eternal. He is always king. It isn't just these periods. But for our context, for us to understand how God intera interacts with mankind in restoring things back to what he intended from the first time, this is the context that we're going to talk about. This is the kingdom of heaven. And we are about here. Almost at the end of the age. We're, I believe, I could be wrong, I believe our eyes will see the transition from the church age to the visible kingdom. Even if we are not alive, 
when that happens, you will most surely, assuredly be made alive so that you will see that transition with your own eyes. Whether in a physical body as you possess now or in a resurrected one when Jesus returns. That's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Why are we talking about these? The inheritance of the kingdom of God is important. It's one thing to be born again and to begin to recognize aspects of the kingdom of God as you see it. But Jesus says, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, many of us in this room have perhaps gone through baptism. So you think that you have been born of water and the spirit, maybe filled with the Holy Spirit. You think you are born of water and the spirit. And that's absolutely true. But I want to submit to you today that that is a process that goes from the day that you are born again until you begin to see the kingdom. You begin to recognize aspects of the kingdom. Until you begin to little by little submit your life to the process of water and the spirit, you do not actually fully enter into the kingdom of God. Parts of you does what you submit and what you commit to this process of death and resurrection enters into the kingdom. What you hold back remains outside. And that's why very often we find ourselves in a lot of conflict. What hasn't entered into the kingdom of God fights with what has. What you have submitted in meekness, in humility, to the process of entering into the kingdom of God fights with what resists the entering into the kingdom of God. And that which resists the entering into the kingdom of God, being a close companion of what has, tries to make itself likable to what has entered into the kingdom of God. But it can't win. You try to do good things. You try to tell the truth. You try to be faithful. You try to do all of the things that you know are wholesome and good and true. So that you can be a friend of that part of you that has entered the kingdom of God. Or at least friends with those that you love that have gone through this process. And are fighting also resisting you that are resisting the entering into the kingdom of God. And we see that a lot. You can probably count... Recount yourself how many times this situation has happened. But only those things that have entered into the kingdom become qualified to inherit the kingdom. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Only things that walk according to the spirit can inherit the kingdom of God. But what is the characteristics of someone that's inherited? It says, uh, um, um, the, the, like the inheritance is actually a notion of governing. Right? Picture it like this. You have a son who's born, baby, grows up, toddler, continually grows in the family, begins to talk, goes to school, graduates, all of these things. And then begins to actually connect 
with what the Father is doing. What is his business? And then he starts to ask the right questions. As all of his life he's been formed according to the character of the Father, now the Father begins to entrust to him things that have to do with governing of the business. This is now a different relationship. Just being in the house, as uh, you know, in the family house, like just having a home, eating the meals with the family, or, or you know, participating in the things of the family. Now it's different. Now it's an inheritance subject. It's a governance subject. What, it, what does God consider to be trustworthy in you to allow you to govern with Him? If you go back to Genesis, the first words that were spoken in the creation of mankind. He created them in His image, according to His likeness, Genesis records in chapter 1. And he said to them, bless them, and said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Three things. Be fruitful. In other words, may everything that you do be successful. Multiply and fill the earth. In other words, reproduce yourself. It's not enough that you're just one, or male and female. You have to reproduce, subdue. The word subdue is usually missed. Why would God create Adam and Eve, put them in a garden that's perfect, and command them to subdue? I want to submit to you that that word subdue is not something that is just, you know what, um, let give you a, a simple example, maybe too simplistic, but... Um, let's say this, this water is here. I'm going to take it. Right? It's not the same word as subdue. Subdue is if this, is, this thing is in the wrong place, walking in the wrong direction, doing really nasty things, I'm going to come and arrest it. I'm going to bring it into my own control. I'm going to bring it into my subjection. That's the word subdue. Adam was commanded to subdue the earth because the earth was not where it should be. But Adam was given that job to subdue the earth as the representative of God, as his son, as the one that was carrying the image and the likeness of God to now begin to subdue the environment. Start with the Garden of Eden and begin to expand the kingdom of God to contain everything that is now under your control, that is in rebellion, that you now bring it into subjection to the representative of the kingdom of God, the representative of the king. That's what the word subdue means. That's what Adam's job was, to subdue. That's our job today. Where do we see that? When Jesus was ministering on the earth, and all of the amazing things that he did, he taught his disciples to also pray. And we know this is the Lord's Prayer. We know the prayer that, that Jesus taught his disciples. You know, it says, Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Many of us have memorized this. This thing is actually has a beginning part, an end part that are similar, and a middle part. Everything to do with born again, seeing the kingdom, entering into the kingdom, all it has to do about us. It has to do about me. About being corrected, being made right. No longer rebelling. But now coming to a place where I can now live within the boundaries of the kingdom of God. It's all about me. Inheritance is about him. The transition from us living a life about us until living a life that's about him transitions you from just simply being, seeing the kingdom, entering the kingdom, and beginning to now be in a position to inherit the kingdom. It's different. That's why, look at, look at, this, look at this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then the focus comes back to me. Give us this day. Why? I'm, I, I need, my body needs bread. Give me my daily bread. Forgive my sins. I'm a sinner. I'm weak in that area. As, as I'm learning to forgive those around me, it's still about me. Lead me not into temptation. It's about me. I'm weak in character. I'm having trouble with this. It's about me. Deliver us from the evil one. Vulnerability. And then the focus shifts again. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. You, you see, the, there, that transition of mindset has to be there for us. For us to be able to now first fulfill what the original intent of God was. And then come into a place where now as his children... We begin to conduct ourselves according to the business of the Father. Jesus' words, no? Don't you know that I need to be about the Father's business? So it's all rooted in this one thing. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's your mandate. How do you come to a place where you are now fulfilling what God said? Be fruitful. Let everything that you do be successful. Let it demonstrate that you carry a powerful anointing. You carry the presence of the living God in you. That everything you touch is successful. Because that's how God is. He doesn't fail at anything. Why would you? Multiply. Don't look at yourself as a one-off. One of the things that the business world has identified and they realize that this is a successful model is that as soon as you are assigned a task, a responsibility, first thing that you do, even before you do that thing, you're supposed to identify who's going to walk with you so that you can mentor them up. That's a godly thing. Multiply. Fill the earth with who you are in God. 
And remember, you have been created to subdue. Every word that comes out of our mouths, everything that has to do with the spoken word, has to do with, as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. As you see what's in heaven, because now you are part of the kingdom of heaven. Right? As you see, you speak here. So that's why I'm saying, like in these things that, that you see, why this is the kingdom? Because as soon as Jesus was resurrected, Peter stood up and he quoted from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, come sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That process started from then. That means that we are in a process from now until if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'll see that at the end of the thousand years, everything will have been made and brought under the feet of Jesus. Everything now is under his feet. And then he hands it over to God the Father. Read it. You'll see it's amazing. So this whole process from the time that Jesus resurrected and he poured out his spirit upon the church and upon the earth and the church was born until the end of the thousand years, this is where God the Father says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Are we in the business of making the enemies of God his footstool? That's our mandate to subdue. It's an inheritance business. You need to be born again. Or else you can't even recognize anything about the kingdom. You have to renounce the race of Adam. There is nothing to improve there. It needs to die. That's its only prescription. And once you're in, once you're seeing it, once you're recognizing it, that work of now everything needs to go through the water and spirit, water and spirit. Oh, that thought? Submit. Oh, that sentiment? Oh, that little prick of the pride? To the cross. To the cross. Everything to the cross. So that what comes up on the other side carries with it the necessary power to bring what is in heaven to earth. Galatians 5 continues. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Many of us have read through these and we, we aspire to them. We think that these, we, we believe that these are the good characteristics. I want to be faithful. I want to be kind. I want to be gentle. I want to be patient. I find it hard a lot of times. It's because of that battle. What is difficult to be patient in? Because it hasn't gone through the cross. It's still trying to be good according to the race of Adam. It's trying to patch up. doesn't work. To be faithful. Let me take you through quickly. Imagine this. Be very quick here. Imagine this. God is love. 
God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. In eternity past, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, eternity past, where there was absolutely no darkness, there is a kind of wisdom that, is, that God possesses who understands something in the absence of the other. What do I mean? We always contrast something with it. Like I understand light in the, in the face of darkness. I understand this in its opposite, right? God doesn't have that, yet he understands. He understands love in the absence of hatred. He understands all of this, and he created that in us. Yet, in that creation, he also needed to do one thing. Because love demands a free will. Love demands free will. In that free will, he had to allow everything of the opposite of who he is. To go through it in the worst possible way so that he could redeem it. So that we can walk in it in the resurrected form. Here's what I mean. He is absolute love. But Jesus experienced absolute hatred. And he redeemed love in that way. He redeemed it. There's no hatred that you could possibly face or experience that is worse than the hatred that Jesus faced. That's why we praise the love that he has because it's powerful. It's omnipotent. The joy that he possesses is absolute. But he had to face utter sadness so as to redeem it for you and me to be able to walk in joy in a resurrected form. There's no sadness that we can experience, possibly experience, more than what he experienced. Peace. What did he experience? He experienced utter violence. Imagine the violence that Jesus experienced so as to redeem peace for you and for me. There's no violence that we could experience worse than the violence that he experienced. Long-suffering, some call it patience, but it's actually the, the, the Greek word makrothubia, which is long passion. He, his passion towards us runs long. It doesn't run out of fuel. What did he experience? utter rejection there's no rejection that we can possibly feel experience than the rejection that he experienced so he was able to redeem long suffering for us so that when we walk into it we're not just trying to patch up but we're actually walking in the trueness in the absoluteness of what long suffering is in Christ kindness He experienced cruelty, unimaginable cruelty. We can't imagine the cruelty that he experienced. Yet, he had to go through it for us to be redeemed into the kindness that is the kindness of a resurrected being. Goodness. The meanness. They were so mean to him for no reason at all other than just jealousy. It's just meanness. And we have experienced meanness in our lives. But nothing like what Jesus experienced. So that he could, he, could, he could redeem it 
and bring us to goodness in a resurrected form. Faithfulness. He experienced betrayal. He experienced betrayal. So he could bring us into faithfulness. Gentleness. He experienced brutality like no other. I don't think we will ever experience this kind of brutality that Jesus experienced. Yet he had to go through it. He took the responsibility of all of these things, the hatred, the sadness, the violence, the rejection, cruelty, meanness, betrayal, brutality, and the utter debauchery and excess that we as human beings can can dish out so that he can bring us to what God originally intended in all of these characteristics that we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit so that they would be ours in our inheritance of the kingdom of God. This is Christ who we believe in. This is Jesus who went through all of these who before anything existed, before anything existed, the Father and the Son covenanted together. That because love demands free will, that the possibility of rejection also automatically exists. But what do they determine between them? In that covenant, he says, I will take the responsibility, Jesus says, I will take the responsibility of that rejection, of all of these things. I will be responsible for that. And on the cross, he conveyed those words. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Therefore, we are able to step into what Jesus has purchased for us. Otherwise, it would be just an improved Adam, that we aspire to. How many of those are out there on YouTube? No one measures to Jesus. And no one measures to Jesus as Adam, as the last Adam. We aspire to the life-giving spirit who is the second man. That's our Jesus. If you haven't, given your life to Jesus. I invite you to do that today. Do not leave until you have approached me or somebody else. Any, I don't want to leave until Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I invite Sarah to come back up here and we'll wrap it up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you have done. I love what Bill Johnson says. It really sticks to me. He says, if there were so many different ways to God, then what Jesus experienced by the will of the Father was a very cruel thing. That's why we're with confidence. We can say he's the only way. And I don't mean that to be insulting. But ultimately, he 
closed out the race of Adam and invited everyone to come to the new race. The race of the second man, Jesus. Hallelujah. Please, if you have faith that rises up in you and you want to say, you know what? I'm all in. Even if you consider yourself born again, even if you consider yourself to have been born of water in the Spirit as a one-time thing, as precious and as valuable, as important as that is, consider today the invitation to stick the course of this process of everything in our lives, every thought, every nuance, every feeling, everything to go through the process of being dying as represented by water and being made alive by the Spirit. Everything. Let faith rise up in you and say, I am a son. I don't mean as a son or a daughter or whatever. This is like step into maturity. Be about the Father's business. It is His good pleasure to give you the kingdom, He says. But there's no compromise. This is who you are.